What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. So it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is with Darius Dale, the founder and CEO of 42 Macro. In this conversation, we talk about global liquidity, his quantitative risk management model, and how things like Bitcoin are going to benefit both from that global liquidity, but also the approval of the Bitcoin ETFs. This conversation was fun and informative, and I think that you will learn a lot in it. I always enjoyed talking to Darius, and today was no different. Here is my conversation with Darius Dale. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Today's episode is brought to you by Espresso, the maker of the world's thinnest portable display. Now listen up. If you're like me, you feel like you are at a command center when you sit down at your desk. I got a gazillion tabs open and different windows for different activities. There's my web browser, my text messages, I have Slack open, and I got a notes app. I normally work on a desktop and it can be very, very productive. But everything falls apart the second I leave my desk. If I'm traveling, if I go to a coffee shop to do some work, or just want to work from the kitchen table. My laptop doesn't have enough screen space. I lose my command center and my productivity falls off a cliff. It's a major problem. But this is where Espresso comes in. They have a portable screen that is so beautiful that you think Steve Jobs came back from the dead to create it. The thing is incredibly light. It comes with a nice stand and the user interface is so easy that I figured it out. How to do it in less than three minutes. If you listen to this podcast, you know that's not an easy feat. So the Espresso team and I, we became friends. I got to know them because I really like the product. And those screens, they now want to offer them to any fan of the podcast. So we struck a little deal. Here's how it works. Anyone who listens to this podcast can go to us.espres.so. Or, that's too confusing, just go click the link in the description. If you go to Espresso's website, they've got a brand new offer there sitting for you. You get a little discount and you'll get a beautiful screen. Trust me, I use mine every day. You'll love the Espresso screen, and I think it'll make you more productive. Go check them out today by clicking on the link in the description. Before we get into this episode, I also want to tell you about a brand new product called Velo. Velo is faster, easier crypto data. Everyone in the industry is always looking for what's the price? What's going on on the exchanges? Where are assets flowing or not flowing? How is things like open interest and derivatives actually playing out in the market? Well, that's where Velo comes in. It's faster and easier crypto data. You can go to veloweightless.com today. Myself and a couple of friends, we invested in the business, we're advising the founder, and we think it's pretty cool. This one is something that keeps me informed on a daily basis, so you should check them out at veloweightless.com. That's V-E-L-O weightlist.com. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Darius here. Uh, Darius, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, recently gave an interview, and she was asked how uh, herself and President Biden think about inflation. And one of her uh, components of the answer was a classic talking point from a politician or a government official, which was, yes, there are some prices of important goods that has gone up, but people are better off. Wages have gone up. 
And so the American people are better off than they were pre-pandemic. What do you think? Do you agree with her, disagree with her? Maybe there's nuance here. Well, maybe. <laughs> so it's great to see you, man. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, I, I'll say this probably needs to be a little bit of shrinkflation applied to uh, her statement, her commentary, because uh, it is obviously just judging by the polls. You know, obviously, President Biden is uh, is polling uh, poorly against President Trump or former President Trump uh, in head to head polls that uh, her comment is is nonsensical. Uh, the average American consumer, when you look at uh, the levels of various consumer confidence readings, are very uh, depressed cyclically. Uh, they're moving higher, uh, so that's been supportive of asset markets, this Goldilocks regime we've been calling for uh, since early November, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what really matters uh, for the consumer uh, is the perspective of cumulative price inflation. And if you think about cumulative price inflation, particularly for people on the lower end, of the uh, the income spectrum, uh, they've been down uh, on a, on a net basis on real income terms uh, over the past few years. Um, you know, the people in the upper echelons of the income and wealth distribution spectrum uh, have done quite well. Uh, you know, things like net worth, household net worth, uh, cash on household balance sheets, uh, those types of statistics have uh, broadly outpaced uh, inflation since the start of the pandemic, really since the start of the fiscal and monetary largesse we've seen uh, uh, really since uh, since early 2020. Uh, but if you think about things like uh, just wage inflation, uh, particularly, again, for those lower uh, to medium income consumers, it hasn't been uh, great from that perspective. So uh, would disagree with her comment, but I don't know that I would agree with the other side of her comment, which is uh, this is obviously bad because, again, from a distributional standpoint, there are winners and they're losers. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, from pretty much when Biden stepped into office for like 22 or 24 months, I forget the exact number, negative real wage growth was the theme. Like it was almost like this guy's undefeated when it comes to real wage growth. He just throws up red negative numbers every single month, month after month for like two years. Um, and again, uh, some of it is because of his policy. Some of it is because of Trump's policies. And some of it is just the macro economy. It didn't matter who was president. But there right. was just this like undefeated run of negative real wage growth. Yeah. And then it flipped. And he went seven for seven, seven months in a row. And it was positive. But then we just hit back. And now we're negative again based on the January uh, kind of reacceleration of inflation. And right. so part of this also is like, well, it's kind of been mixed. Like there's been times where wages have been gaining on inflation. And then there's been times, again, like two years where wages weren't. And so you can kind of pick and choose your start and stop points and manipulate the data in a way that tells the story that you kind of want, which seems like maybe that's something that, you know, both parties would love to do going into an election year. Yeah, walk, walk, into, walk into political science one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> 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 which data sets uh, that best tell your narrative? I mean, and that's kind of what this is, right? We all know it's a parlor game. Uh, you know, it's designed to get the elites paid and, uh, and, and in the right positions to take advantage of the rest of us. But uh, it is what it is. I, I don't know that... Um, you know, you know, going back to, you know, one of my favorite statistics uh, I throw out in terms of why we are here from the perspective of uh, about well above trend inflation for several years, uh, why the economy partially why the economy has been resilient, uh, much more so than the average investors uh, expected uh, is um, when you go back and you look at the fiscal monetary policy response uh, to the pandemic, uh, which is obviously extreme. Uh, we grew the federal debt. Uh, by $6 trillion uh, in the two years ending in 2021, so 2020 to 2021. The Fed monetized over 50% of that. And that $6 trillion was spread out evenly uh, in 2020 and 2021 with Trump and Biden as presidents. So this is something we've uh, long argued, uh, uh, even even for years, even going back to the early days of the Trump presidency, uh, is that you need to, as an investor, kind of shed your uh, old school thinking of between D Democrats and Republicans. 
Uh, the reality is it's populous and more populous uh, in terms of how uh, monetary and fiscal policy uh, has evolved uh, here in the U.S. And really, this is not a U.S. phenomenon. This this is something that uh, is, uh, is is being driven by uh, the fourth turning, which many of you guys know. Uh, my former uh, colleague, Nohal, one of my mentors, uh, his work has really uh, helped us understand some of the political uh, dynamics and social economic dynamics that are uh, causing that, you know, that shift in towards populism and in, in increasingly towards populism for, for certain pockets of these political parties. And so in our opinion, uh, it ain't going anywhere. It's only going to get more populous, uh, more fiscal and monetary largesse in response to crises uh, going forward. And ultimately, there will be a tipping point that we have to deal with uh, as investors and, and as people in, in this society. But uh, we're, we're probably not there yet. So let's talk about this quantitative risk management uh, model that you have. And, and you guys put together this summary. But basically, there's short term, kind of short to medium term. And then you've got medium term uh, type signals. What are you seeing and, and what is these models and, and risk management frameworks really telling us about how investors should be thinking about their portfolios and, and uh, the assets that they're allocating to? Yeah, great question, man. A nice pivot too, because I, I, you know, uh, you and I can go for hours, uh, particularly over beers, and we certainly have a lot of experience with that, <laughs> um, uh, about, you know, some of these longer term uh, fiscal monetary policy dynamics and economic dynamics. And uh, I think I like to think that, you know, you and I are two of the best uh, in the world at that, uh, with mincing no words in that in that statement. Uh, but in terms of what we do for our clients at 42 Macro uh, is more focused on how do we actually make and save money today? What is the medium to medium to long term sort of short to medium term outlook uh, for asset markets and how are we best helping investors position their portfolios to take advantage of market risk up or down left or right rain sign or sunny yeah and so you know just a little bit of background about myself uh i spent most i spent and spend in my career uh traveling around the world uh meeting with uh, institutional investors on the global buy side uh you know i've probably done about five thousand meetings with uh ceos and pms across the global buy side uh and, and what what i'm designed what we're trying to do the services that we provide uh to them uh are mac what we consider to be macro risk management and that's a kind of a dirty word for uh market timing for factor selection factor tilting and all this kind of stuff that institutional investors are tasked with uh because they are either benchmarked uh, to asset markets or they're perform they're in some sort of market neutral long short uh, uh, uh kind of framework that 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 you know forces them to take certain kinds of risks and so what we've done for our clients at 42 macro uh, is build a series of models uh that are really really accurate and really really um uh, sort of uh, repetitive repeat, repeatable uh, in terms of the output that they generate to help investors stay on the right side of market risk you know there's a choice you have to make as an investor before we even unpack this slide you can not stay on the right side of market risk, right? You can be long an asset uh, that is in a drawdown and continuing to draw down because you believe in the long-term thesis. Uh, but you know, for institutional investors, uh, they get fired when they do that. Uh, they can't feed their families when they do that. So they need to generally uh, be making money all the time or on their way to making money all the time because they'll lose their jobs otherwise. And so what our models are designed to do is help investors, you know, kind of maximize upside capture in bull markets and minimize downside capture in bear markets. So with that preamble out of the way, let's just get into the slide. So as you guys can see, uh, this slide is, uh, as you can see, it's dated Thursday, February 15th. Uh, 2024. Uh, every day, every day we publish our leadoff morning note, uh, and every Saturday we publish our around the horn. Our quantitative risk management summary uh, is is updated and featured in that slide. And and what the updates are are just the highlighted uh, callouts 
uh, from each of those various models, which we we actually published the output of the models as well in the presentation, but we don't have time to go through that today. So uh, as you can see, in terms of stuff that I think will be broadly uh, relevant for, for most market participants, uh, if you look at our positioning model, uh, there's some uh, some interesting signals uh, there in the positioning model. Uh, the retail trader positioning was extremely overweight stocks uh, heading into this week's correction uh, that has since uh, dissipated. But if you think about uh, equity or investor positioning from the perspective of systematic investors and market neutral players, uh, it's actually suggesting that uh, there's still an elevated risk of a correction from the perspective of CTA positioning being uh, extended uh, from the perspective of market neutral investor positioning uh, being extended. Um, uh, just uh, skipping down a little bit, you know, we're still, if you look at the medium term signals, which tend to resolve themselves on a three month or more time horizon, our global macro risk matrix, which is the primary model we use to keep our clients on the right side of market risk. This is the model that called for Goldilocks going back to uh, November alongside our positioning model uh, and has really helped our clients, you know, really benefit uh, from this massive bull run we've seen across uh, stocks when a lot of investors are, uh, you know, kind of kicking and screaming, uh, you know, <laughs> shouting bear poor narratives to the high heavens. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. So we're still in Goldilocks. Um, if you kind of scroll back up and look at the volatility just momentum signal, we're starting to see changes in some of the compositions of the defensive assets. We're seeing things like the move index uh, break from bearish uh, VAMs to bullish to neutral VAMs, the currency volatility CVIX break from bearish VAMs to neutral VAMs, uh, treasury bonds break from bullish to neutral. And so you're starting to see the, the kind of global currency and global fixed income markets start to price in a little bit more volatility uh, that would be suggestive of moving out of the Goldilocks regime. Now, it's very likely that uh, based on that weather model signals down there where we're generating the weather models currently generating a bullish three month outlook for stocks and bonds and a neutral three month outlook for the dollar commodities and Bitcoin, uh, that would suggest that we're probably headed for something that looks more like reflation rather than Goldilocks. Reflation is also a risk on regime, uh, but it's a risk on regime with an inflationary bias and a bias that is less positive uh, for fixed. It was actually negative, explicitly negative for fixed income, uh, but uh, it continues to be quite positive for things like Bitcoin, things like the stock market. So uh, again, this is something we refresh uh, six days a week uh, for our clients at 42 Macro. Obviously, we uh, you know we, we unpack the callouts as well uh, with all the charts and the data uh, supporting that. Now, when you start looking at assets like Bitcoin, one of the things that's been really interesting to me is uh, it seems to be serving as like an index for global liquidity. If you look and as global liquidity increases, Bitcoin's price goes up, obviously the, the opposite happens as well. And we've talked for months now uh, about the Fed, the ECB, and Japan all contracting their balance sheets while China is just bucking the trend, you know, middle finger to the rest of the world and saying, let's <laughs> pump liquidity into the global system. Um, totally. And so- We've seen Bitcoin run up quite a bit in, you know, called the last year or so. Uh, is this a game of more and more assets will become these like global liquidity indexes? Or do you actually think that legacy kind of traditional assets like the stock market or, or others, um, they're not really just dependent? There's too many other fundamentals. There's too many other things that are at play. And so Bitcoin and Bitcoin alone will be that kind of index of global liquidity. Like, it, it, I don't really know how to think about it yet, but I know that Bitcoin is doing that today. And it's unclear whether this is just the first of many assets that will just become a global liquidity trade, or will these other assets be able to uh, kind of retain some other drivers of you know price action, not just hey, our central banks, you know, green light, red light, uh, and playing a game. 
Yeah, no, so that's a great question. So a uh, lot to unpack there. Uh, the, the kind of key takeaway just to answer the main question, which is, is Bitcoin going to continue to be this sort of uh, being dominated by global liquidity and, and separate and apart from the rest of asset markets? Uh, we would say uh, no. If, if you go back and you study uh, things like our global liquidity proxy, uh, which for those who may not be familiar, it's the uh, global central bank balance sheet, the aggregated global central bank balance sheet, plus the aggregated broad money supply, plus aggregated uh, uh, global currency reserves, uh, FX reserves minus gold. And when you look at that time series, it's actually highly co-integrated with every asset market, whether it be corporate bonds, treasury bonds, stocks, uh, crypto, um, any as every asset market, with the exception of commodities, which tend to be a more stationary time series. Uh, it tends, it's a, you know, any asset market that is a non-stationary time series, which most are, um, then, you know, with the exception of currencies and commodities, then you're talking about it's going to be highly co-integrated, if not very correlated uh, with fluctuations and the level of of, of, of global liquidity. So uh, this is something that's been uh, uh, something we've observed uh, for for quite a while now. It's become more popular as part of the market discourse amongst you know broader market participants. But what we've been doing at 42 Macro, and I think we've done a great job at this, is one help investors understand what are all the moving parts in that liquidity matrix, you know, which central banks are likely to continue um, tightening their balance sheet or starting to uh, ease their balance sheet, which economies are going to have an acceleration or deceleration in credit growth uh, that could be very uh, onerous, which economies are having you know positive or negative current account flows that could ultimately be positive or negative for the global liquidity matrix. So for us, you know, I think for a lot of folks who listen to podcasts and watch Twitter, you know, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Uh, but I think if you want to consistently stay on the right side of market risk, you need to do a lot more than that as an investment process. And what we do in terms of helping our clients understand these liquidity flows and how they're going to ultimately impact asset markets is actually do the granular research in terms of tracking growth, tracking changes in inflation, tracking changes in policy across all the major economies, particularly here in the U.S., because obviously U.S. and China tend to be dominant uh, in these liquidity discussions. You know, we we understand all those moving parts that cause liquidity to go up or down or down faster or down slower or up faster or up slower. That's what we're doing at 42 Macro, which gives our clients, uh, you know, a much better, you know, kind of flashlight into this dark future that we're all investing in, uh, you know, on a consistent basis. Now, when you look at these models, what, what exactly are people doing differently? Um, and, you know, we saw the the 60 Minutes interview. The Fed chairman seemed to be uh, quite revealing in his commentary, uh, but maybe they aren't planning to cut uh, by March. Uh, it seems like the January inflation data reaccelerating probably pushes it out a little bit further. Um, is uh, most of your clients changing their portfolios right now or not really? Uh, no. Well, most of our clients have been benefiting from the bull run. Uh, you know, we've had some a few legacy holdovers or not even legacy holdovers. We had a few new clients uh, who've joined us uh, in the past few months, uh, particularly on the pro-to-pro -pro investor side, uh, which are our general, our high-end institutional client relationships uh, that have uh, come on and said, hey, look, man, you know, we were sick of getting squeezed. We think there's a better way to invest. And we uh, were checking you guys out. And and and, and fortuitously, uh, you know, they found opportunities to to get their portfolios right size for the current market environment. Um, obviously, it's it's hard going from being very bearish to being bullish, uh, you know, in a short period of time, particularly when markets have been uh, on such a on such a run. But clearly, this is a raging bull market, uh, particularly in, in, in crypto and, and stocks. And it's not something you're going to want to fight as an investor. And, and quite frankly, uh, if you go to our fundamental research summary, which is a slide three in today's chart pack, there is no reason to fight this from a growth inflation or policy perspective. And there hasn't been a reason uh, since uh, late October, early November, at least according to our research here at 42 Macro. So uh, when we look at what our clients are doing, they're by and large 
uh, benefiting. They're making uh, money, uh, uh, quite a, quite a lot actually. Uh, when we think about what the broader investor community is doing, going back to uh, slide one, that quantitative risk management summary, uh, you know, investors have gotten there was some upside capitulation we saw. You know, heading into early February a few weeks ago, uh, not a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, we saw retail trader positioning crash to the upside and and give, give us that negative signal in terms of being extremely overweight stocks. Uh, we saw uh, realized volatility, uh, which we use as a proxy for the trend in realized volatility, which we use as a proxy for uh, systematic investor positioning. We saw that crash to the downside, which is an in indication that their positioning was getting extended and stretched to the upside in the equity market. Uh, we saw uh, implied correlations, uh, which is an indication that market neutral players, which are these dominant, you know, kind of multi-platform, multi-manager uh, hedge funds that dominate market turnover. Uh, you think about the citadels of the world, et cetera. You know, those kinds of firms, you know, that it's been a great environment to take risk for them because implied correlations of, amongst equity index constituents, uh, and particularly the volatility component of that, uh, have been uh, are at historic lows. In fact, during the zeroth percentile of daily data going back to 2006. Uh, so that would suggest that these managers on the platforms are actually extending you know, their, their their book size, their, their you know the, what they're, the assets that they're managing, the leverage that they're take their they're, they're investing with is actually at max. And so there is some you know risk of a correction here still uh, in our opinion uh, because a lot of the cohorts of the investor community, global investor community, whether it be retail investor, RA investors, systematic investors, market neutral players, long only fund managers, some of those cohorts are you know about as uh, bullish as they possibly can be. Now, the last question I have for you around um, kind of implementing this stuff, uh, the information that you all look at, how much of uh, this information is really, we want to identify assets before they move versus we want to be positioned in the right markets. And, and what I mean by that is like, uh, there's an overarching belief. I think like investing in the right market is more important than which asset you buy in that market. So emerging markets versus domestic equities versus, you know, somewhere else. And what I continue to come back to is it feels like a lot of people who look at macro, they've been correct in their analysis of uh, inflation or uh, central bank activities, et cetera. But they are buying kind of more traditional assets versus buying like these new assets. And so now that there's a Bitcoin ETF, you know, let's say that people think there's going to be a reacceleration of inflation. Maybe historically they bought gold because it was easy to buy because they just go buy GLD. Do you see people now saying like, oh, okay, like a Bitcoin ETF provides the opportunity to come to the same conclusion. Infl inflation is going to be a problem. You want to express the same opinion, like inflation hedge assets will go up, but now they're going to try to buy the thing that's more asymmetric uh, because they just have like more ability to do that. Yeah, so the, the, the quick answer is absolutely. Uh, we're obviously seeing from a fund flow perspective, particularly over this this past week or so, um, you know, investors really starting to uh, believe in the viability of the you know something like Bitcoin. Um, in our opinion, that's only going to continue. I mean, if you go back and you, you we did a, and I think I've referenced this on our show uh, many times, but you know, we last summer we did a deep dive. Uh, empirical research study uh, with data going back to the you know 1800s, 1700s uh, to determine what investors uh, should likely expect from the economy, from policy, and ultimately from asset markets throughout the duration of this fourth turning, which again my former colleague and mentor Neil Howe thinks could extend itself until you know early 2030s. Uh, and the key takeaway is that uh, some of the key takeaways are, which I think are, have very relevant long-term implications for investors allocating to assets like Bitcoin and or gold, uh, is that you're going to have more inflation. 
you're going to have much bigger budget debt, debts and deficits than any CBO or Treasury or Jeff Gunlack projection could even potentially imagine. It's going to be way worse because, you know, in a fourth turning, these things tend to explode. And as a function of that, we think we're probably going to see a decent amount of financial repression. We think we're probably going to see a decent amount of uh, currency debasement. And so the demand for these types of assets, in our opinion, over the next you know, 10, 12 years is going to explode higher. Now, it's not going to literally explode higher. You know, if you think about an asset like Bitcoin, there will be crypto winters uh, to deal with, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not, you know, it's going to be at a, it's going to be at a much higher price longer term, you know, between now and the end of that, that period. So, you know, what we do at 42 Macro, uh, going back to our quantitative risk management summary or a slide to our discretionary risk management overlay is to help investors, you know, going back to answering your original question, we want to make sure that we are there when the money's to be, to, is to be made. But when there's no money to be made and or there's money to be lost, we're not there, right? We're using our quantitative risk management tools, you know, particularly uh, trying to identify inflections and trends and momentum in and across asset markets. You know, that's that's the name of the game if you're trying to make money and save money on a consistent basis. If you just want to, you know, buy a unit of Bitcoin or whatever many units of Bitcoin you can afford and cold storage it until 2031, fine. I think if you can do that. And if you can do that, if you can allocate to your target date fund and don't look at your portfolio between now and when you retire, I would highly recommend anyone that can do that from an emotional standpoint, do that. But for the other 99.9% of people that want to actively be involved uh, in their, you know, in their investment future, that want to, you know, that love this thing that we call investing, this social activity that we call investing and want to know what's happening with liquidity, want to know what's happening with policy, with growth and markets, et cetera, and actually want to trade and and actually uh, transact a lot more uh, than they probably should. Firms like ours make sure that those decisions that they're making in terms of transacting in financial markets are better and a lot, really consistently a lot better uh, than they otherwise would be without uh, firms like 42 Macro. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or learn more about 42 Macro? Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. So uh, 42macro.com, come check us out. Uh, I'm on Twitter at DariusDale42. I'm pretty uh, pretty, uh, pretty active there uh, and on LinkedIn as well. So I appreciate everyone uh, for checking us out. Uh, but obviously, if you don't check us out, we appreciate you as well, because uh, we think there's a lot of education that we can provide uh, to the general investing public. Because, I, you know, you and I, we will, you know, and I don't want to <laughs> step on any toes here because you're obviously partners with some of these organizations. But I see a lot of um, folks on, you know, the CNBCs of the world, you know, just, you know, they they're not they're not doing a good service for the broader investing public. And, you know, we're here to change that. I love it. We'll do it again, my friend. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you.